Welcome to Descoped, the payment security podcast, the go-to show from VGS, or FinTech product builders and leaders. You're about to hear a conversation from experts in payments, issuing, and data security, sharing their best practices and real-world experiences. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to Descoped, the payments security podcast. For those who listened to the first nine episodes of this podcast, you might have noticed we've made a change in the name. We decided to rebrand the show. So in that spirit, we also decided to kick off a new season. And with that, we also have a new host in myself. I'm Megan Powers, new to the VGS marketing team and a seasoned podcaster. So I'm really excited to help drive interesting and thought-provoking conversations around fintech, payments, and security, of course, through this show. We have an expert on our team who has um, published both a retrospective of 2022 and a look forward at the trends for this year in data security compliance for the VGS blog. So I thought it was a good idea to talk about looking forward and trends for the year would be a really good topic for our season two kickoff. And our guest on this show is Very Good Security's own external communications analyst, Dr. Ken Gears. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm just flying in from uh, today from Germany. I was in Munich and Berlin last week for two conferences on uh, the security of open data uh, and the Munich Security Conference, where the hot topic was Ukraine. Oh, I bet. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a we're not going to get deep into that, folks, but <laughs> that's um, I'm sure that was super, super interesting. Okay, so I'm going to give uh, your brief bio and then we'll dig in. Dr. Ken Gears doesn't just work at VGS. He's also an Atlantic Council Cyber Statecraft Initiative Senior Fellow, a NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence Ambassador, and a Digital Society Institute Berlin affiliate. Prior to those roles, Ken served for 20 years in the U.S. government in the Army for the National Security Agency, NSA. In Naval Criminal Investigative Service, we know that as NCIS. Like the TV show. And at NATO. Yeah, exactly. He's the author of the book, Strategic Cybersecurity, editor of the books, Cyber War in Perspective and the Virtual Battlefield, and a technical expert for the Talon Manual. For those who don't know, I did not. It's an academic non-binding study on how international law applies to cyber conflicts and cyber warfare. I mean, is that all, Ken? Come on. <laughs> well, since 2013, I've, I've worked at a few cybersecurity companies um, like FireEye and a few others. Uh, so I've had go- a long government background uh, as well as some experience in, yeah. in the private sector to see how, you know, how to build a company, how to start and build a company. And that's, that's trickier than just collecting taxes and spending them. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, so actually, that's a good segue to our, our first question. I like to start big picture. So your experience in cyber defense and security is obviously wide and deep. So what brought you into the position that you're in now at VGS? So I spent a couple of years on the security team as, as an analyst, you know, and, and there, there's really too much to write about, you know, proactive security uh, and, and reactive security and real-time security. They're all, they're all quite different, you know. So, some of it is we're making, you know, huge in, investments 
you know, whether whether it be you know in encrypting data at rest or in transit, and how how do we do that? Um, this stuff is really hard. So information security as as a discipline is really broad and and deep, and companies like VGS uh, are offering as a service, you know, data security. So you can, you know, build bicycles and learn the dark arts of hacking uh, and computer security, or you can, you know, focus on, uh, on your day job and allow companies uh, the ability to, uh, to secure data for you. I mean, it's just so tricky. I mean, even in government, you'll see you know, government agencies like the CIA lose, you know, data uh, and spies abroad because, you know, of some problem they had, you know, with computer security. And so it's really too much for a, uh, a mom and pop shop, really, uh, to do sometimes. Uh, so I was on the security team for two years, uh, and now I'm on the marketing team. And so at a startup, I think it's the the, um, the collaboration uh, and the uh, synergy between different uh, folks that takes place every day, which actually is is a good thing, right? In a in a government or in a very large corporation, it tends to be siloed, and so one you know an agency or one department doesn't speak to the other. But at a at a startup. We're all kind of in this together, uh, and it makes right. it actually makes for a, a tremendous uh, work um, questions and opportunities and solutions. Uh, the fact that we we all are uh, are working together. Uh, so I'm a security analyst, but I'm uh, at VGS learning a lot about fintech every day. For example, last year I gave a presentation on the security of cryptocurrency. Uh, and that was really cool. We tried to look at the big picture, not only where is cryptocurrency today, but where is it going? Could it replace the US dollar, for example? And then all that goes back to security. That is a, a whole other show in and of itself. No, no question. Crypto is, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So yeah, I mean, we all, you have to be nimble in a startup and um, and go where your where your skills are needed. And we're in this niche space, right, where we have an opportunity to help companies large and small. But yeah, so all right, let's dig into the the trends. So in the trends blog, in in the 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 first trend that you listed or that you um, wrote about was or highlighted um, open finance or open banking. So what what's this trend about? Yeah, so it's about leveraging open data or information that's more accessible, exploitable, and editable, right? So I'm allowing you uh, to access my API and use it for some purpose that I can't really predict. And so the bottom-up nature is really cool because I don't necessarily know how and where I'm going to be successful. But one of the things that is the goal is for consumers to feel more in control of their personal data. So when when I want to buy products and services, I, I do want less corporate control, less network surveillance, less big brother. And so account holders, hopefully in this new paradigm, will have greater autonomy and the greater emotional health around, around their data. Um, so open source banking, a little bit like open source code, it can be unique uh, and unpredictable. 
And I think big banks will get nervous about this uh, and they will accept some short-term losses in exchange for, for a piece of the pie. In other words, they can't predict it either. Uh, and so um, they will be following very closely what the startups are doing uh, and where the startups uh, find success or gaps or seams. For example, chipping away at, uh, at costs. Right? right, optimizing payments, for example, there's going to be huge room for optimizing payments. Okay, very cool. All right, let's talk a little bit about the government. <laughs> there were a couple of a couple of trends that you listed. Um, now I feel like they're both connected to government, so we're going to kind of try to lump them in one. But I do have two two questions. So, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, and Fed Now which is a new service that's going to be offered by the U.S. Federal Reserve to enable instant transactions through depository institution accounts, which I had to look up. Those are banks through said credit unions. Not everybody knows all this stuff. It's funny, you know, so many acronyms and stuff. So the CFPB website says more than 3.1 million consumer complaints have received responses. $14.9 billion in financial relief has come as a result of their actions, and 183 million Americans are eligible for financial relief. They do a lot of different things, providing information on credit reports, debt collection, blah, 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 all that good stuff. So the challenge that you highlight is that their their tech potentially hasn't kept up with the times, right? Like the laws that address data privacy and security aren't necessarily modern. So what are your thoughts on how CFPB needs help or like what are the complaints do you think around how they're doing things? Well, the fact that the internet is ubiquitous uh, and now in, in everyone's pocket, right, does allow for uh, complaints, right? So um, this is a good thing, I think, because big data will show where people are getting taken advantage of. So I don't know, have you ever opened a, a bill and it was surprisingly large and you didn't know what you were paying for, right? The, yeah. the CFPB is there in order uh, to answer your questions. And that could be from housing uh, to COVID-19. Um, and when you have financial questions and money questions, uh, this is, I think, exactly the sort of thing that that a friendlier government should be doing for for its citizens. Uh, and so the CFPB has provided nearly $15 billion in financial relief services, you know, for people who send in complaints and over 3 million uh, responses uh, to complaints. So one of the things about uh, laws today is that usually they were written for a different era and we're just trying right. to apply them in cyberspace. The problem is, is that cyberspace is really a moving target uh, and it's developing so quickly uh, and it's evolving in ways that are unpredictable. Uh, and so it, it can be a real challenge, I think, for, for governments to keep up. Um, even intelligence agencies have a very hard time keeping up because of the nature of modern information technology means the next big idea uh, can come from anywhere. So we need some protections. Uh, and there's got to right. be something like the CFPB in order to help us uh, navigate this space. Uh, and so 
it'd be great for all of us to know about this agency and to help them to help us. Right. Yeah. And not getting into the the security side and the and the data protection with regard to how we pay for things and all that kind of stuff. We could go on, but we, we, we're going to keep this high level today. Um, all right, let's talk about FedNow. This is a new organization that the government is creating, which you know, most people want less government, right? They don't want more. But um, it's it's interesting that that it's the Fed, the Federal Reserve is providing it. So tell us what it is exactly and why this new service is significant. Like, what should we look for? So Fed FedNow is not yet available. Um, right. The U.S. Federal Reserve is sponsoring it and is going to provide a platform uh, for depository institutions in the United States, right? So we got to start small and then build from there. Uh, but the fact is, it's a little bit like a baseball stadium. Uh, if you build it successfully, they will come, right? So this should be a neutral, flexible platform so that banks and credit agencies, depository institutions can send and receive payments on your behalf. Um, so the potential here is incredible, I think, because, you know, the U.S. government backing such a scheme, you know, essentially the transfer of funds uh, between banks in near real time, any time of the year. So, you know, our parents and our grandparents certainly could, ima could not imagine banking past 5 p.m. or on Sunday right. uh, or on Christmas, but yet this is what it's going to allow. And so... Um, so I am excited about it, but it's a big mystery at this point. There's still huge questions such as ease of use, uh, whether small companies will have the, um, the, the smarts uh, uh, to even uh, use a turnkey solution, right, uh, in, in terms of finance. Hope, hopefully it will be that easy to use. Uh, how they're going to diminish fraud, uh, so the problem with um, with information security is that even if the information a company receives is valid, you know, right name, right address, right bank account number, it can be hard to know whether that information was stolen um, mm -hmm. or whether the uh, the remote machine has been compromised, right? So there's a connection between information security and cybersecurity, and there's a lot of overlap between the two. So it'll be key to have some kind of a dispute uh, mechanism. And there, it's a little bit, uh, the CFPB experience should help, right? Click here to complain. Uh, and mm -hmm. so those, there will be a lot of complaints. <laughs> right. And that's interesting because I think, I think we already, as consumers, think that everything is happening in real time. You know, you 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 buy something and you see, but you see it as pending. I guess so. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see um, what happens there. All right. So let's talk about robots. So um, the there has been so much in the news recently about ChatGPT. Of course, in terms of AI, um, became the zeitgeist for AI content creation. And recently, there's also been a flurry of activity with companies like Microsoft and Google to get to market with their own generative AI tools. But it's interesting because you talk in in the article about how ChatGPT actually created a trends list. It pegged some trends for 2023 that were actually, I don't know, I th chat GPT, I feel like is supposedly the data is from 
2020, not, it only goes as far back as 2021. So how interesting that it was able to indicate some of the things that you had in your list as being trends. So what, what do you think, how do you think that this will impact fintech or like payments and security? So I, I think we are about to see the, come to fruition some of the basics of AI, like the internet itself, like blockchain, like TCP IP networking protocols. The potential seems uh, revolutionary, right, for each of these um, domains of IT. Um, last week in Berlin at the conference, they divided us up into groups with questions for about you know thirty minutes at a time. Uh, one of the uh, elements uh, in the discussion was that ChatGPT was also given the question, uh, and then at the end we had to present our take on on an essentially the security of open uh, source software. But ChatGPT also was one of the uh, contestants or participants. And as we've, we've seen, AI now has won uh, chess competitions, Go competitions, even poker last year, right? So mm-hmm. we're on the cusp of something really huge. There's no doubt about that. Um, some of ChatGPT's uh, suggestions for where fintech is going this year are obvious, open banking, digital payments. Uh, but Chat did go on to say that one of the reasons for this is digital inclusion. So already it's thinking one step ahead of where, you know, where we would think a computer uh, should, right? It's making logical um, assumptions and and looking at ramifications of of technology. And and that's really fascinating. And that's where, like in 1997, when Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov playing chess, um, Kasparov was convinced that there was a human actually somewhere inside cheating, right? The team, uh, because it was thinking ahead in term, terms of logic that seems to be beyond a computer. So some of the other things, unsurprisingly, that chat believes in this year, blockchain and machine learning, AI, VR, but going on to say that th- some of these technologies will solve the problem of uh, credit risk. So who you're going to give okay. a loan to, some of these cutting edge uh, technologies like virtual reality can be used to interrogate someone who's seeking a loan and ask them logical oh, questions. What are you going to do with this money? Uh, do you have the resources to pay it back? Stuff like that that are just too time consuming for to to have enough humans to do but they can be quite human questions and and any more um that's the thing with ai right we we do, we don't know the turing test basically states that uh if you don't know it's a uh, computer asking you these questions, then it would pass the, the Turing test. And we're way beyond that already. We really are. Right. Um, so that's that's fascinating. And one vertical in particular that chat says is ripe for transformation is insurance. All right. Interesting. It's so, I just, I love it. It's so, it's frightening <laughs> and amazing all at the same time. All right, cool. So let's... Um, Let's talk about financial wellness. I I just love there's something about that term that I just think is so cool, um, which is another trend that you um, wrote about. 
I think it encompasses a way of thinking about our finances holistically, right? Like being literate about our finances and can also help us in our emotional health because we all know if like if we're broke, you know, we're a lot more stressed. Um, and so the idea of this can help us live within our means, both short term and long term. So briefly, tell our listeners um, about this trend of financial wellness. Well, it's about translating literacy financial literacy into financial wellness. And in literacy, I might say, one another way to look at it is discipline, right? So all of us, we have things that we have to do during the day and things that we want to do. And we put off the things that we have to do uh, until uh, it's you know, sometimes too late. We all know that you know one of the secrets to uh, retirement is just regular investing over time. Yeah. And, and that's pretty basic, but the fact is, is uh, a, an application could really help you do that and visualize it uh, as well. So it's similar to sleep and exercise uh, and better diet. It's budget, uh, debt, you know, saving, uh, things like that. It's, it's very similar. Uh, so there's uh, short-term finances, living within your means, long-term finances, which means you know buying a house, this goal-oriented behavior. But it's wellness, which speaks to emotions. So it's about translating you know what's up here into your feeling, right? And that's right. that's where some of the psychology of uh, financial well-being is really powerful. If you can code that, right? You say, oh well, one of the most important things is for people to give have a feeling they're living within their means and for people to see that they're going to have some kind of nest egg, right? All of that you can code. It's not rocket science. It's, uh, should be fairly, uh, simple to code this into an application so that people can see that, you know, each paycheck, each month, each year, they are investing a certain amount that, will uh, will yield, uh, a, have an ROI over time. I mean, Einstein said, right, that the thing that knocked his socks off almost as much as making new discoveries in physics is compound interest, right? So the ability of interest to make interest. And so that's hard for a human to understand, but uh, an application uh, with visual tools so that you can see how it works over time uh, can really help. Yeah, I think I think there are startups out there who have who are creating apps that w are intended to help us with that, right? Like a way to tell. You know, I started keeping personally keeping a spreadsheet of, all right, what are my monthly? Uh, you know, we have ten streaming services we're paying for now, right? Like, there's all these different um, things that we sign up for that we might have forgotten about. So, so yeah, so I think this speaks to that in a way to to sort of help us. And actually, I think that's a good transition to to my next question, which is basically about how about security and transparency equals trust, which is another um, section of your article. Uh, as I've been telling friends and family about this new job and what VGS does in the most basic way that I'm able to this early in, it's it's been interesting to explain it, you know, to a regular person or, a, a, you know, a consumer, right? so that they can understand it. And and as I explained, basically, that this niche startup is helping large corporations protect your, our personal information 
protect our personal um, card information by like having it not even go into that company's radar, right? Like we're putting it in a vault, we're, we're encrypting it and aliasing it and, and we're protecting it. And, and, and again, super basic, like as easy as I could try to explain it as well as I, as I know it at this point. And the, the reaction has been, Oh, I like that. I mean, individual consumers want to work with companies that, that care right about their data and protecting their data. So I think that investment in security up front, like you, you've talked about, it's like an insurance policy over the huge data breaches that um, keep putting consumers at risk. So the last point you make in your trends article, um, it has many layers, but at the heart of it is what? Like that investing in data security, particularly for payments processing, up front is a lot wiser and pr- less expensive, right? Than paying the price down the line when there's a breach or a fraud, right? That's right. So I think that every company should begin to think of itself as a fintech company already because today modern businesses are just using building blocks like little lego blocks of of code that are built um, as a foundation for what they do vgs plays a very important role in between sort of the cement between lego blocks uh, encrypting data, vaulting information, and tokenizing information so that uh, fintech companies can use it securely. So there's always a balance between usability, uh, security, functionality, right, with code. The problem, though, I think, is that we're always purchasing things online from so many different places uh, and entering our information on unsecure computers and coffee right. shops and airport lounges. So our data is everywhere. It really is. And companies, they are hoovering up all that information and selling it. They're selling it to the highest bidder. So vaulting sensitive data tokenizing sensitive data. Uh, These are winning strategies uh, for fintech companies uh, so that not only upfront, they secure sensitive information, but they're much, much closer to compliance, right? Because we all know Mm -hmm. the golden rule of sensitive data. If you collect it, you must protect it. Um, So, One of the things that a company like VGS offers uh, is the ability to be a data bank to store that information so that our clients uh, don't have to learn about encryption uh, at rest and in transit because it's a lot of work and a lot of expertise. They can use tokens, uh, their data is safe, uh, and they can uh, still make payments and get paid in real time uh, without worrying about the security. Now, advertising that, celebrating that is is a really a good thing. So putting security first. This is one of the stories of Microsoft, you know, they they didn't put security first and it took them, you know, a decade to to kind of get back on their feet. Uh, in terms of in terms of security, so when you build it into your system, 
from the beginning, you're much better off in the long run uh, than the Band-Aid approach. Um, you know, because, for example, uh, ransomware, if you get it on your network, right, encrypting all of that uh, information and holding it hostage uh, for a, a ransomware payment. Uh, and so that can be a, an existential crisis uh, for a person or, or a company to get hit with this kind of malicious code. And one of the things that, that VGS offers is, is the ability to, to, uh, to avoid so many of these uh, computer security uh, conundrums, right? Uh, and so by vaulting and tokenizing information, we, we solve a security problem and a compliance problem. But it does allow your company, uh, if you invest in security, uh, you should advertise that, right? And should uh, look at it as a, a selling point for what you do. Not only can you buy a bicycle uh, from my company, uh, but you can do so uh, securely, right? right. With uh, the, the confidence uh, that your name and address uh, and credit card number are, are safe uh, with my company, right? And so I think data security as a service uh, is, is really going to take off uh, in 2023 and 2024 uh, because it makes so much sense for businesses yeah. and consumers. For sure. Uh, there's, there's a business case for that in, in any company that takes payment for anything. No, no question. Okay, we have a, um, a final question that we're, um, it's going to be a standing question moving forward. We're going to ask every guest. So I would like to know, who's a person or company out there that you're following or that you think is making waves in either fintech or payments? So I think a little bit differently than, than some folks. I mean, I have a government background and I've lived, it seems like most of my life overseas. And, and I'll talk about a couple of countries where I've lived recently. Estonia and Ukraine, uh, and both of them are really, Estonia is already there, right? So 15 years ago, I, I went to the Estonian parliament uh, on a tour and they, they gave us the paperless government uh, tour, right? So there it takes, it takes no time at all to do your taxes. They're already done for you. You get an email which says, if you agree with this, click here. Government does it for you. You can set up a business in five minutes. Everything is based on transparency. Uh, they're working blockchain uh, into uh, budgets, into taxes, uh, into payments. Uh, it's really exciting. So from the Estonian perspective, it's the size. It's a tiny, tiny country, right? That's on the border of, of Russia, which gives it mm -hmm. added pressure uh, to succeed in this space. But Estonia is one to watch. Skype, for example, Wise. Um, they've had numerous unicorns come from, uh, from the Estonian space. Uh, now, Ukraine, uh, because it's currently at war, they have a plan within two years to jump ahead of Estonia, uh, in terms of uh, modern IT infrastructure. So I think in Estonia, it's in terms of size, which is so interesting. It's, in other words, it's brains over brawn. It's uh, sort of David versus Goliath. They, they are uh, hell-bent on a mission uh, to be the world's leader in terms of digital everything. So 
So if you have some uh, cool idea, I would check to see what the Estonians are doing. In the Ukrainian case, uh, it is that they are fighting a war for independence. All these countries want to help, but they're worried about finances, right? Uh, they're worried about a relatively high level of corruption in the former Soviet space. So the Ukrainian government is very busy uh, trying to go transparent. Uh, and they said within two years, they will leapfrog past uh, Estonia uh, and Singapore and other countries in terms of uh, government uh, services online uh, and accessible. So some of the things, if you haven't seen these uh, articles, you should check them out, allowing people to help the war effort. So uh, on a cell phone, for example, you can take a picture of anything in the sky uh, and then crowdsourcing, they will find the drones, right? Uh, whether it's, and they'll determine whether you know, it's a, uh, a missile or a helicopter or an Iranian drone, that sort of thing. Um, and you do so with your, gov your government-issued ID card so that it minimizes the amount of false information in, in the system. That's on the war side. But all of this as well applies uh, to the area of finances. Governments are worried that they're giving money into a black hole. And so the Ukrainian government is making a huge effort uh, to be as upfront uh, and as transparent as possible about where donations uh, are coming from and going to and how they help people on, on the... Uh, in the refugee camps uh, or toward the purchase of, of weapons. Uh, and so that is that is really exciting to see and not that it's anything good about war, uh, but those two countries in my experience, if you are a, a digital investor, are really things to watch. And that's both in the geostrategic space as well as in the area of payments, which is, which is what we do. That's amazing. I asked you a very basic question about a person or an organization and you managed to answer it that it's two countries that are making the most waves for you. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you, Ken, for being our very first guest of season two. I think this was a really good compliment to your trends article. And our friends out there, if you have any suggestions or for topics or guests for the podcast, please email us at pod at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks, Ken. Thank you very much. Uh, and as always, you can uh, email or get in touch with us uh, for, for more information. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Thank you for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Descoped, the payment security podcast from VGS. For more insights, practical advice, and the latest trends in payment security, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or check us out at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.